Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. 40 college football bowl games plus the college football playoff, the last month of NFL football, college and pro basketball, hockey, all of that and more is coming at you during this holiday season and Bet Online Sportsbook has you covered. All of the odds, props, promos, and parlays. Use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V-50, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is a fantabulous December 15th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping into this 1,104th episode of the Take It Easy podcast. I hope you all are having a fantabulous Thursday or Friday or holiday week, however and whenever it is that you might be listening. Maybe you're having a fantabulous April And if you are, welcome. This is a greeting from the past. Hope you're having a fantabulous 2023. On today's show, I wanted to take the time to talk about a story that has been uniquely personal to me and uh, I guess in in one respect could be a lifetime in the making because, you know, I'm just kind of living my life at this point. But it's also a story that I feel has been in the work for approximately six months, and it's more so just the life that I'm experiencing and an expertise that I feel like is a cool story to share, and that is around the Sacramento Kings regional sports fandom, and well, we'll get into what the story itself is coming up in a second, but first of all, let's take you guys behind the curtain to show you how the, the Wizard of Oz uh, comes to life in front of your eyes, which is uh, kind of taking you behind the scenes on this podcast. So the Take It Easy podcast, which is now 1,104 episodes long as of this recording, many of these episodes are no longer available to you on the podcast feed with which you are listening, but I encourage you to still download as many of them as you can. Really helps boost our algorithms and helps me get paid and support our dreams. Thanks to all the sponsors of the show and to Believe for helping support our dreams, and thanks to all of you who continue to uh, support this show. So if you're listening to this, just start downloading some old episodes for me. If you've downloaded all the episodes, undownload and redownload. It's, it's much appreciated, but the, the broader point I was going towards is this podcast began when I was just graduating from high school 
in San Diego, California, my hometown, as Walter Mitchell, our friend, calls it, Slam Diego. And it just began as me talking into a phone with shitty audio quality and then talking into headphones during my freshman year of college. And then the pandemic happened, which cut my freshman year of college down to just uh, basically a half a year of college, almost two quarters of college. So basically it cut my first year in half and then we started doing podcasts during the pandemic. And, and back at this time, we had our Instagram page. And because everyone was locked in their homes and Instagram was popular back then, uh, this podcast kind of got attraction greater than what it was prior to the pandemic. Not a significant amount. I mean, it was going from 12 people listening daily to a, a couple dozen or a few dozen listening to the show daily. A few episodes ended up blowing up, blowing up. Like uh, the day Kobe Bryant died, that episode got over a thousand downloads on podcast and a few thousand views on on Instagram. And we did a, 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 a skit on the show with uh, Justin Herbert and Zach Wilson being, uh, I said uh, as a joke and it went super viral that uh, J- Justin Herbert looks like, Justin Herbert looks like the hero in a like Karate Kid children's movie and the antagonist is Zach Wilson and then we built out a bunch of characters where like Zach Wilson's crew was Christian McCaffrey as his boy who roughs people up and Justin Herbert's best friends were uh, uh, Panay Sewell and uh, I can't remember who the other person was now. I'll go back and find that. But basically that show got like 500 downloads and like different shows have popped off, but we've been pretty consistent doing an episode every single day. Some good, some bad, some I'd like to erase from history. And, you know, I've grown as a person, but basically I graduated college in 2022 after three years of doing this podcast every day, Monday through Friday, as well as a, a hundred plus wired ups on Sundays, not every Sunday, but you know, two years worth of wired ups. And uh, the way I kind of treated this podcast was like repetitions. I, I want to make $75,000 a year working in sports and just talking into a microphone is for say 30 minutes, 45 minutes a day is, is like going to the gym and working out. It's refining a skill that will be useful whenever I do uh, get a larger platform with which I can make a living out of it and then maybe go do something else after the fact. I bring all of this up to give my backstory out there and then to talk about where I am now because I graduated from college in Davis, which is in Northern California, and then moved about, uh, a, say, a, a 40 minutes to an hour or so out to Sacramento. And uh, I work in Sacramento at a radio station now, and uh, Sacramento is like the, the big city connected to the college town of Davis, per se. It's a drivable distance But a drivable distance that's like, if you don't hit traffic, you can do it in 30 minutes. But it's basically like 25 miles away from Sacramento. And so I picked up my life, moved it not too far over to Sacramento. I personally thought I would move to another state or get some sort of entry-level position uh, far away from where I went to college as a a sacrifice of starting in radio and trying to get a foot in the door. But it, it happened to be in Sacramento. And In the six months that I've now been in Sacramento, really closer to four months since I moved out to Sacramento, um, something pretty remarkable has been going on. And you may have heard on Tuesday, Walter and I talking about uh, Sacramento State and the Stanford job and a perfect season there. But on a grander level, 
on the, you know, not FCS college level, although I think FCS football is incredibly interesting because of the regional sport that college football is and the the regional city that Sacramento is, um, the Sacramento Kings have had their best season in 16 years in the first year that I happened to be living in Sacramento and working for the flagship station of the Sacramento Kings on radio. And so there's this connecting point to the Sacramento Kings as a team that I didn't grow up rooting for. Certainly there was no connection to the Kings growing up in San Diego. And yet I've gotten here and recognized that this Sacramento Kings organization and this team is the exact ethos of what I love about being a sports fan. So you've heard me talk before and a lot back in October about the San Diego Padres and how when I moved away from San Diego for college, I never wanted to go back to San Diego. And I'm sure many people can relate to this type of story. I'm not special in this respect. I'm fortunate enough to have, shall we say, enough resources to pursue a dream of working in sports and take a couple financial hits here and again. But it's enough where I can pursue a dream as long as I'm willing to make the sacrifices to do so. And one of the sacrifices that I've made is that I don't ever want to go back to the place that I live. There's a, there's a lot of childhood trauma that's pent up there. Um, it, it's a place where I don't particularly feel like building roots. Even as my family has been there for you know many generations, I don't feel that connection. It's a source of, of a lot of the, the, the things I don't like about childhood version of me, a lot of it out of my control, Ch- uh, childhood trauma, teenage trauma, social isolation, um, taking on too much responsibility without understanding what that responsibility meant, emotional damages, stuff that I've had to work through uh, in the three to four years since I left home and have really started to build my own life. And one of the things that I think is interesting is that my connecting point to my hometown is the family that I'm still connected with and will visit on occasion the way other people might visit on on holidays, and that baseball team, that baseball team that I spent hundreds of hours, if not thousands of hours, following, watching, partaking in as a child who used sports to cope with a lot of stress and anxiety and trauma going on in his life. And that baseball team, because I've invested so much in it, I feel like I don't want to give up now. I I don't watch them every day. I don't follow the team as routinely as I might. But I also felt the... You've heard heard me on these podcasts. I cried when San Diego had that magical playoff run. I was willing to drive five hours to Los Angeles and back just to be there for the goose game when the Padres beat the Dodgers in Los Angeles in game two of a playoff series because how much that meant for the inferiority complex of San Diego, which is always in the shadow of Los Angeles by national perception, and people internalize that a little bit. And because of that shared collective trauma of losers and that shared love of a sports team that sucks again the san diego padres since their inception in 1969 have the worst winning percentage of any team in major league baseball across 50 years worse than the pirates worse than the orioles worse than any team the texas rangers any team you can point to san diego has the worst winning percentage of any baseball team since their inception and 
San Diego is a minor, it has until recently had been a, in my entire childhood from age five to age 19, a minor league baseball team. They did not make the playoffs. Their best players were traded to other teams. They operated as a team that was essentially not in the same league as these other franchises. And in the end, I have been rewarded with a team that now spends a shit ton of money and beat the 111-win Dodgers after five years of rebuilding and 20 years of futility. They beat the 111-win Los Angeles Dodgers in the playoff, and it was incredible. So I rally around losers because of growing up in San Diego with the San Diego sports curse, with that baseball team that never made the playoffs in my memorable lifetime, growing up with the Chargers, quitting the Chargers when they left, and I'm now a six-year recovering Charger fan, recognizing that my sports fandoms will never be that. I will never invest hundreds of hours in a sports team again. I've been there, done that in my life. I want to do other things. I have other interests outside of sports that I had never thought about until I got to be my own person and became an adult. I will never invest in a team again like I invested in that San Diego baseball team. With that being said, let's talk about the team that I'm investing in now and investing deeply in their success because I want the feel-good at the end of this run of just one season, one season, and watching what people who have done that same thing in, to, with me in San Diego, seeing what everyone went through in San Diego that last year, I want to see that for the people of Sacramento. I want to see that for the friends I've come to know here in Sacramento and work colleagues that I've seen covering this team for, in many cases, 30 years some cases they've grown up in, in Sacramento, whether it be over in Elk Grove or Carmichael or other communities within Sacramento. I want to see that moment that I had happen for them. Because Sacramento is the Padres of basketball. Sacramento has not made the playoffs since 2006. In a sport where over half the teams have made the playoffs every season since 2006. The next closest playoff drought to them is like 2013. Like, you can fall ass backwards into the playoff just by getting a top draft pick. It is, a ins it is an insane amount of futility with which the Sacramento Kings have experienced over the past 16 years. If you were to take a list of players who were picked one selection after Sacramento, just one pick after a draft pick held by Sacramento, you would be looking at a starting lineup of Damian Lillard, Clay Thompson, Luka Doncic, Jonathan Isaac. Like, they are incredibly, incredibly futile as an organization. And by the way, they were so close to getting it all right if they had just picked Damian Lillard and paired him with DeMarcus Cousins. If they had just picked Stephen Curry and paired him with DeMarcus Cousins. Even if they had just picked Luka Doncic over Marvin Bagley and then put him together with Domas Sabonis. They would be excellent. Top of the league excellent. There would be no more talks of curses. They would make the playoffs for five consecutive seasons. And it didn't work out that way. 
Sacramento has, in a sport that requires having a star player so much, Sacramento has never had a star player since 2006, other than DeMarcus Cousins, who got them within basically where I've called the Sacramento Kings for years, which is three games out of the last playoff spot with five games to play. That's basically where the Sacramento Kings have lived my entire life, is three games out of the playoffs with five to play, except for the handful of seasons in which they they tank and get a top draft pick like they did with Marvin Bagley at number two and like they did with De'Aaron Fox at number five. Every other year, they're basically trying their best to win, but they're doing it in such a futile way that they end up finishing with the 9th and 10th and 11th and 12th seeds. Combined by the fact that if you don't know the history of the Sacramento Kings, and there was supposed to be a really great documentary that was part of 30 for 30 about this. It never ended up airing because the the mayor of Sacramento, Kevin Johnson, has a whole lot of Me Too stuff in his past that came out right before the documentary was released. And if you don't know this story, the Sacramento Kings for seven years, for seven years, were set to leave the city, which they had played in since the 1980s and was Sacramento's only professional sports team and was probably going to be Sacramento's only professional sports team that they will ever experience because Sacramento while it is a mid-major market at this point it's it's the 28th largest media market based on the old radio projections even as Sacramento is a mid-major media market it exists within the shadow of San Francisco and Oakland in the Bay Area two of the 10 largest cities in the United States And Sacramento, which is only about two hours away, about the same distance from Los Angeles to San Diego, Sacramento is not a place... When the Oakland A's considered moving to Sacramento, it was literally not an option because the San Francisco Giants basically had veto power on that media market to prevent Oakland from... To prevent the A's from ever moving to Sacramento and becoming... Sacramento's second professional sports team. When it comes to hockey, San Jose Sharks kind of occupy that same space. They chose San Jose over Sacramento. When it comes to NFL football, not a viable option for a team like Sacramento. It's not one the NFL would actively choose. And Sacramento's not in a business of building $2 billion stadiums. It's a, it is a relatively small town. College football doesn't exist within this region, as we talked about with uh, Sacramento State and high school football in Sacramento on Tuesday. This is the only team that Sacramento will probably ever get. Once the Kings are gone, there's not really anything else that's coming. And after the end of the 2009 season... It was set. The Kings were on their way to Anaheim. That was their big move, was going to Anaheim, leaving Sacramento behind, and that didn't end up happening. And then in 2014, they had a deal in place to send the Sacramento Kings to Seattle. After three years of negotiations, the deal was in place. They were about to announce that Seattle was going to get the Kings, and the People of Sacramento, in large part fans of the team, fought to not let that happen. They had to reach certain um, season ticket sales. This was explained to me by Carmichael Dave. Shout out to Carmichael Dave, who does radio here in Sacramento. They had to sell tickets 
it in certain numbers they had to get a certain number of corporate media sponsors and they had to reach a certain dollar value of sweet sales for the following season by a certain date or the paperwork was going to be filled it was their last chance to keep the team and they hit all of those goals and the NBA decided okay you have proven a level of viability there is a financial interest in the local team now we can work towards a stadium deal and they got a downtown stadium deal completed they got the deal done and in 2016 after in 2009 the team was set to move and by 2016 they were ready to open a brand new stadium and what happened in those seven years is the playbook of teams that are getting ready to relocate which is you got the roster you got the team and if the team continues to play poorly you will use that as the backdrop to move to another city. It's how Seattle got their team taken away from them. It was the playbook that Milwaukee was playing when they were the team that was considering moving to Seattle. They happened to fall ass backwards into Giannis Antetokounmpo, leading them to a championship and basically getting a stadium built in Milwaukee because of Giannis Antetokounmpo. And the, the reason that played out is that the team was not good enough to invest in when they were going through the rebuilding years and or when they were going through the relocation years and the reason that's the case is because there is not a team there all of the conversation around it around the team is not about the players it's not about Tariq Evans it's not about Boogie Cousins it's not about Isaiah Thomas or Hassan Whiteside what's happening on the court is completely secondary to should we invest in this team because it might not come back? And maybe if the team is good enough, there have been examples where like in the midst of relocation, the Los Angeles or the St. Louis Rams almost made a Super Bowl run. And so like there are there are cases in between. Um, the, the Oakland A's have had magical runs in the midst of relocation. The, the, the Chargers with LaDainian Tomlinson and Phillip Rivers are another great example. They were having negotiations to move the team when that run of 14 and 2 and going to an AFC championship was happening. So people will invest in the great team, but if you have no great team and you're threatening to relocate the team, a legitimate relocation threat, well then at a certain point, why would you invest in the team? Why would you get excited? And even when the team does something good, the whole conversation revolves around stadium deals, ticket sales, and whether or not the NBA is going to take your team away. It's an incredibly stressful situation when you have a lot invested in this situation. And I know about this in a, to a certain extent because I grew up a San Diego Chargers fan. I was following all the news for seasons on end about whether or not the stadium would stay or go, listening to press conferences because that's what was airing on the news. It wasn't a conversation about the team, even though the team was it made the playoffs and won a playoff game in 2013, even though they won seven games in 2014 or won nine games in 2015. Even when the team was average, it, all the talking points were around what is going to happen to the future of the organization. And it, it's really, it is draining. It is daunting. And it makes the feel good go away. The feel good of rooting for sports teams and that emotional connection that you make the feel good goes away under the weight of that stress and and that is something that i will not do again because i recognize now it doesn't matter it's not worth it there are so many more important things 
to spend my time worrying about. And as I want to work in sports, I will I will never spend that much emotional energy as I did as a child because it's not worth it. I recognize now that it is not worth it. And yet, I'm getting sucked back in by Sacramento, the losers of Sacramento, the inferiority complex of being secondary to San Francisco, of this is our only team. It feels like San Diego all over again. I don't know what what sick, twisted fantasy has brought me back to this place where I'm in a new city in which there's an inferiority complex to one of the largest cities in America, a new city in which they have to fight to keep their team in a new city that happens to have the worst winning percentage of the last 20 years in their sport, similar to how San Diego has the worst winning percentage of the last 50 years in any North American pro sport. I don't know what kind of sick, twisted reality has brought me back to this place, and it is testing me. It is testing my faith. But the thing is, no matter how much I love and care for Sacramento, I can't, I I didn't live here. I didn't spend decades of my life here. I have only covered this team for a handful of months. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't emotionally invest in the ways that people who grew up rooting for that team have. The, the way people can name the 2000s. When I just list Katino Mobley and Chris Weber and Peja Stoyakovic and, and Matt Barnes and Kenny Thomas, I'm, those guys do TV now. But when I just list off random ass names... The way that I do with old Padres like Chris DeNorfia and Will Venable and Alexi Amarista. Names that none of you understand. But if you're someone in Sacramento and I just start talking about Brad Miller, it brings a smile to your face. There's, I don't have that connection to Sacramento. I don't have that connection to that team. So even if I wanted to start investing, even if I wanted to plant roots in Sacramento and build up that team... And build up that love the same way I did when I grew up in San Diego as a child who was first learning about sports. Even if I wanted to, this isn't my hometown. This isn't a place where I've spent enough time to really invest. And so the way I'm taking on this Sacramento Kings season is I want that for the people who did do what I did, who went through being in Sacramento, went through all of the loser seasons rallied and, and united around a community of losers. That's why I love losers so much in sports. That's how I identify as a sports fan is through being a lovable loser. You want to rally around those people and you want to rally around that team. And I want to be the person who sees that through for them. And as a pretty cool bonus, I get to experience it because I'm living in the city. I get to see the beam that gets lit from the stadium. If you don't know what light the beam is, y'all, it's it's a silly gimmick. It's free. It's fun. And people love this shit. Lighting the beam has become like something that's like a like what a college football team does. Like, you know how college football teams have that dumb have those dumb traditions like Wisconsin doing the jump around or Texas AM with their weird midnight roll? Like it feels like a college football team because this is their version of a college football team. This is Sacramento's one team. This is the team that people want just any reason to be excited about. And by the way, when people have been excited about it and they keep losing for the people who have stuck around through the 15 years of futility, man, it's going to be so great when they just host a play in game. If they can get the nine seed this year and host a play in game, y'all, it's going to be 
rocking in Sacramento. It's going to be insane if they just get to host a a play-in game. And I want that so bad for people with no expectations all of the years of losing with uh, and you see how much fun it is right now. Light the beam has been fantastic when Malik Monk had a band-aid. Um Malik Monk uh, he, he got a cut on his face and had a band-aid. Everyone followed up by wearing band-aids. And then when Malik Monk's face was healed, he kept wearing the band-aid. Like, the, the people rallied around that silly gimmick of just buying a band-aid and sticking it on your face. I showed up to work and, and my friend Simone, like, she was wearing a band-aid to work. And I was just like, man, that is super cool. And I mean, you you see it at the you see that part. You see the beam. They got a defensive player of the game chain that they hand out. Like, dude, they are going for it in Sacramento. They they want reasons to get people excited. They are a regional team that is kind of in the in the big gluttony of the middle of the NBA right now. They're a seven seed, but they were a four seed two nights ago. Like Sacramento, and if they lose today, they'll or if they lose on Wednesday, I don't know what the score of that game is, but if they lose on Wednesday, they'll be a nine seed. Like in the gluttony of the middle of the NBA, the Kings find themselves in their best season and their best hope for breaking the curse that you have seen maybe, I mean, in all 16 years. And this is the interesting part about that. Even if the Kings had broken the playoff drought between 2009 and 2016, the, the Boogie Cousins seasons when they had Tariq Evans, even if they had broken the curse during those seasons, it would not have felt the same because the team was on its way out the door. All the Even the feel-good of making the playoffs for the first time in seven to eight years and losing a first-round game... Even if they had broken it in one of those seasons, the feel-good wouldn't have been there. Not the same way. I mean, it would have felt great in the short term, but if you have nothing greater to invest in, what's the point of, of putting your emotions on the line if there's nothing greater to invest in? And that's the thing that is important for sports fandoms. You have to give stakes and storylines. You have to give them, and, and since you can't create stakes out of... You can't create stakes out of a shitty basketball team. You have to give people storylines. You have to give people reason to emotionally invest. And a big thing for regional sports like baseball and like college football is investing the storyline of community, the storyline of pride for your hometown. That's how people sell. And it's why I say sports traffic in the emotions business. People want to have a deep emotional relationship. Meanwhile, the billion-dollar corporate people want to have a deep, meaningful relationship with a billion-dollar corporation. Meanwhile, the billion-dollar corporation is like, y'all, this is prostitution, and this is about real estate, and uh, y'all are giving us money, and we are providing you a service. But people want to have an emotional connection with the prostitution of sports. And what's so unique about deriving storylines from community and regional pride is the people who make up that community buy into it you can create something special you can create unique emotional connections and you can create bonds with other humans that don't really get replicated on that level i mean anything we do can create those bonds and other things within the community do whether it's art 
whether it's science, whether it's some sort of uh, workout group, whatever it like whatever hobby you might occupy and invest your time in, it can build these same sort of connections on a regional level. It's or on an even smaller level than a region, even just in a small community. It's not like sports are unique. We've just decided that sports are the thing in our society that we want to prop up as regional pride on a grandiose level and give hundreds of billions of dollars to. I mean, the the basketball, the the NBA teams combined are valued at like seventy five billion dollars, and the apparel economy is over twenty five billion dollars. So we're talking about literally hundreds of billions of dollars into this economy of sports that we've decided is worth it. And on a regional level, baseball and college football sell community and regional pride much better than the NBA does. The NBA is by and large a national sport. The NBA exists nationally. You know the national stars. And if you live in a city that happens to have a professional basketball team, Maybe you get excited about the team here and there, but for the most part, you can root for pretty much any team and follow any and all of the teams. I would argue that a lot of NBA fans follow the sport at large greater than they follow the regional team compared to the NFL, MLB, and college football. I would say the NBA is more of, I think maybe football not necessarily in the same respects. I think Football might have national sport beat, but there's still regional pride. You still see it with Buffalo. You still see it with Kansas City. You still see it with uh, teams like Cincinnati and what Blake Jude was talking about with regional pride of that team. Like You still see that in football, and it exists on a smaller level in basketball. It doesn't have the same grandiose vibe as football. So I would argue that basketball is, by that standard, the most national of the sports. And that's why it's so interesting that in this most national of sports, Sacramento remains a uniquely regional team. Most people know the star players on on the Sacramento Kings, but most people don't have a... The Warriors are a national team. The the Lakers are a national... the, The NBA has way more national teams than the NFL, MLB, and uh, college football do. There are Lakers fans in every state. There are Warriors fans in every state. There are Dallas Maverick fans in every state. Miami Heat fans. Uh, I would even go as far as to say San Antonio Spurs fans, Los Angeles Clippers fans, Brooklyn Nets fans. Those exist everywhere. Chicago Bulls, those exist everywhere. In football, I think the only way I can describe that is New England... San Francisco, Dallas, and maybe Kansas City's getting there. Give it time with Kansas City and and them dominating the way they do. But, like, basketball has a lot of national and international brands. The Warriors are an internet. You could put the Warriors anywhere. You could put Dallas anywhere. You could put the Miami Heat anywhere. And you will draw immense fandoms. And... At this point, Sacramento is not that because Sacramento has been sitting on the sideline for all of these years, partway in between a hometown that loves them and partway in between Seattle and Anaheim and spending seven years talking about relocation of the only team that will ever come to Sacramento. Like there, there is no football team going to Sacramento. There is no baseball team. There is no hockey team. This is the only team Sacramento will ever have. And 
no college football team, Sac State, UC Davis, Stanford, Cal, no, no football team actually wants to compete in the college football landscape. This is the only team Sacramento is going to have. And because that is their team at the professional level, it has a regional pride to it that I don't think I've seen exist anywhere other than hearing stories about college football teams and hearing stories about Major League Baseball teams like kind of in San Diego, what I've seen in San Diego recently where it becomes a regional team. It doesn't have the same vibe as Sacramento because Sacramento is so uniquely kings and been so uniquely bad for so many years that the losers are all banding together with the hope that maybe they can be slightly less losers. And again, just just getting to the play-in game, they will commit arson. Someone will commit arson if the Kings just make the play-in game. They have been so futile for so many years that now that you've given them something to be interested in and there's no longer a threat of relocation, now you actually can develop a real fan base. Not even when Marvin Bagley was selected did it probably feel like this. At least talking to people who have grown up in Sacramento, have covered the team for a decade, have covered the team for even three decades, who whom I work with. They're people who have been broadcast partners with the Kings going back to 1989. Gary Gerald, who who calls the Kings games on radio, and I work with him. Like Gary Gerald has been calling Kings every Kings game since they moved to Sacramento. And since they got into this new building, it hasn't felt the same. And since the drought began, it hasn't quite felt like this. And that's super cool because everyone's getting excited about lighting the beam. And you can see the beam all across, you know, about a 10-mile radius. You can see the beam lit up outside the stadium. You can see the band-aids. You can see the the defensive player, the game chains, and you can see the you can see that people can name everyone on the team. They know Kevin Herter, they know Chemezi Metu, they know Rashawn Holmes who got MVP chance in 2020. They gave Rashawn Holmes MVP chance. Back in 2020, it was my first introduction to the Kings when I drove the hour from college to watch the Kings, the last home game before the pandemic. They gave Rashawn Holmes MVP chance for a team that was on its way to finishing with the 12th record in the Western Conference. Like, they know Rashawn Holmes. They know guys deep on the bench like Trey Lyles and Davion Mitchell, who was a lottery pick a couple years ago. Like, this Harrison Barnes has been there for like five seasons now. Like the Sacramento Kings are so regional and so beloved and, and lucky me that I got to show up in my first year in Sacramento, my first job working in sports. I get a regional team on the precipice of their greatest accomplishment in 20 years. And I get to see just how exciting being a loser can be. Cause when the expectations are so low you just get to a play-in as a minor league team, people will celebrate it like a championship. People will cry. People will, like I joke, people will commit arson. Like, people will get so emotional the way that Patrick Beverly chucking a jersey into the crowd for winning a play-in game for Minnesota last year felt. That's what it's going to be like in Sacramento when the Sacramento Kings play a single play-in game. And if they win that play-in game, it's going to be an outpouring of emotion. And even though I haven't emotionally invested in that way, I'll get excited about it this season. But even though I haven't emotionally invested in my adopted basketball team, the Sacramento Kings, I'll grow to love them. 
I think the Sacramento Kings are a team that I can root for the same way I root for San Diego Padres as my adopted hometown and my adopted team. I want it for the people who have spent 10 to 20 years having that moment. I want them to celebrate that play in with no expectations, with all of the excitement that comes with, with now having the, the peace and tranquility of not having to worry about your team leaving and the stress that I went through with the San Diego Chargers. You get all of it and more. And that's why this, this is the first time you've given a product where they look up and they're like, we can do this. Yeah, we got Marvin Bagley and that was exciting, but that immediately flopped and, you know, we passed on Luka Doncic and now we look like the same old Kings. It took it took Thomas Robinson one pick before Damian Lillard, took Jimmer Fredette one pick before Clay Thompson. You know, we're same old Kings. Took uh took Tariq Evans over Stephen Curry. Same old Kings, baby. Um we took Marvin Bagley one pick before Luka Doncic. Same old Kings. This is the first time it doesn't feel like same old Kings. They started the year 14 and 10 or 14 and 11 or 13 and 10. I, one of the two, they, they started the year with one of the 10 best records in the NBA. They light the beam when they win. And if they, if they win that play in and they light that beam, it's going to be people crying and not knowing how to contain their emotions. And that I want so bad for people in Sacramento. I want it for the people I've come to know, for the people who've come to root for that team. I want it so badly for Sacramento. And I want it so badly for the people who would get, just from a play-in victory, the same feeling I got when the San Diego Padres beat the Dodgers in the playoffs back in October, which is the greatest moment of my sports lifetime. For a lot of these people, this will be the greatest moment of their sports lifetime. Because the only stories Sacramento Kings fans have had to tell to, remember I say stakes and storylines, that's what gets you interested in sports. The only stories that the Kings have had to tell is the fight to keep the team in Sacramento. They're still talking about Robert Ory's shot. They're still talking about 2002 with the, the, the Lakers Western Conference Finals. It's the same stories it's the same stories from 20 years ago being retold. And at a certain point, people can get excited about those storylines, but it doesn't feel the same as making your new memories. It's giving you a reason to actually watch for the first time in 20 years. And the best you can muster up in those 20 years is look at how this community rallied in a super unique way. Look how this community rallied from the team being on the plane to Seattle to keeping them in Sacramento over seven years. They had to spend seven years fighting to keep that team, the only team they will ever get at the professional American sports level, the only team Sacramento will ever get. You're going to have that moment as the story to tell. But now let's actually make some stories to tell after that. And just winning the play in this year will be a story to tell the same way my futile San Diego baseball team won a championship. The same emotional feeling as winning a championship by beating the Dodgers in the in the second round of the playoff last year. That same feeling, that same feeling is going to happen to Sacramento if they can just eliminate a single team. If they can do what Minnesota did last year where they make it to a first round playoff series. 
they will throw jerseys and cry and light the beam and wear band-aids and bring out those defensive player of the game chains that I'm sure they're already making to sell at the at the stadium. They will get all of the emotional payoff. And I want that for those people. And I want and it makes me inspired to go against my word and start investing in a team for my adopted hometown the same way I did for my actual hometown of San Diego. It's like the person who's like, I'll never love again. And then he starts to love and he starts to see the the community that's been built around the team. And I'm like, damn it, I want to love again. I've I've quit the Chargers. It's the healthiest decision I've ever made. I want to work in sports, but damn if I don't want to be a part of something special that's happening in Sacramento. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We have episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. Make sure to download, download again, download all of our episodes. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Tell us your thoughts about the show. Leave a five-star review on Spotify. I forget. I keep forgetting to mention that. Spotify also lets you leave ratings on the show now. Thanks for listening to me pour my heart out about San Diego and Sacramento and adopted hometowns and regional pride and the rah-rahness of sports. If you want more content like this, stay tuned and subscribe. In the meantime, take it easy, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.